You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Camille A. Brown, and this is The Fabulous Invalid. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast, where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself, always deemed on the verge of decline, yet always bouncing back, The Fabulous Invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left at NYC and host of Stage Left, the podcast, which is currently on a rather unfortunate hiatus because of a little global pandemic you might have heard about. Unfortunate is a very good choice of words. Yeah, we were having so much fun doing that podcast. I love that podcast and I look forward to getting back to it. And who knows, maybe we'll figure out a bonus episode or two while we're all sort of dealing with the current world event. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of, we uh, have an interview that we want to share with you this week that we actually recorded a couple of weeks ago, back before everything was sort of shut down. (laughs) Before the world fell apart? Yeah, seriously. Uh, It feels like ages ago. um, It does, but we really, it was really like three weeks ago where we recorded this, this interview with the idea that it would come out probably a little closer to something she was going to start work on right after we chatted with her, but that's now been canceled, unfortunately. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so we sat down and talked with Camille Brown, the incredible choreographer who has worked seemingly across every conceivable medium at this point in her career. And she's still young. Um, she's worked in theater. Uh, she has her own dance company, uh, Camille Brown and Dancers. She's worked in opera and she's really done it all. It's pretty amazing. And she was going to be the choreographer for Thoroughly Modern Millie at City Center Encores, which was another sort of feather in her cap, right? Another thing she'd right. never done before. Correct. Right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll hear in this interview, we're going to talk about it. So please, as you listen, <laughs> keep in mind that we did record this before the pandemic uh, threw a wrench into everybody's uh, spring theater plans. But before we recorded with Camille, we went to see Porgy and Bess live on HD in the cinemas, which was an experience that was truly magical. Yeah, I have to say I had never done it before. Uh, And the whole reason we went is because, if you don't know, Camille uh, did the choreography for it. And I believe it was her first time uh, doing choreography for opera. And once again, another, another example of her versatility. And uh, Jamie and I went to a Met Live screening at the Empire Movie Theater on 42nd Street. And I have to say, it was very cool. I, Jamie knows this. I'm not a big fan of seeing live performance on film. It always just sort of irks me because I like being the director of photography when I'm sitting in, uh, in a seat experiencing a piece of live performance. But I have to say, this was incredibly well done, like major tip of the hat to whoever produces uh, this series for the Met. Well, the other thing that's so great about seeing the Metropolitan Opera on the big screen is that you get to see a level of detail and, right. and that you wouldn't see even in great seats. I've sat in great Correct. seats. I've sat in nosebleed seats. And no matter where you're sitting, the picture is always, I mean, there's nothing compares to sitting in 
the Metropolitan Opera wherever you're sitting. However, this does afford you the ability to see things you wouldn't normally focus on. Absolutely. And another really cool feature of it that I had no I had no idea to anticipate is that during the intermissions, they do these little interviews. Um, and this one, of course, was hosted by Audra McDonald because she had starred in the Broadway um, iteration of Porgy and Bess uh, back in 2012. And um, they interview all the actors. They interviewed Camille. They interview, um, you know, just a, a full range of folks who were involved in the production. And it really enriches the experience. I mean, you know, not that Porgy and Bess is something that's terribly inaccessible. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's kind of easy to experience and get get into because it is a it's more of a folk opera, right? But still, even I, you know, as someone who is fairly versed in this world, I, I felt like I learned a lot, and it really enriched the experience hearing from the creatives and the performers in the middle of their performance, so to speak. And I do believe that the Met is starting to stream their operas for free on their website. Because they had to cancel the rest of their season. Right. Well, we had had tickets to two other operas that we were going to see that unfortunately we cannot. However, I don't know if Porgy and Bess is part of that program. I'm not sure 100% exactly which ones they chose, but I would imagine it'll come out in the world and you can see it. And I would imagine that they'll keep the intermission and basically what we saw is what they'll broadcast. I would hope so. And it's well worth it. Yeah. And, you know, in in the future, you know, I would totally do it again. And, you know, the cool thing is because it's in movie theaters, it's it's nationwide and it might even be international. I'm not sure how far the, the range extends. But if you ever have an opportunity, it's a really cool way to experience opera if you're unable to get to the Met Opera itself, um, or even if you are. It's, it's, a, it's a really neat and, and affordable way, I should say. I mean, our tickets were, what, $20, $30? Something like that. No, they were like yeah. $25, something like yeah, that. Yeah, which, you know, for an evening at the opera, that's you can't beat that. No, not at all. Well, yeah. I think um, I think it's time we get to our interview with Camille, who is fantastic, and I hope you all enjoy it. Yes, let's do it. I have to read this because it's so much. <laughs> You've had quite a year. Tony Stone for Roundabout, Choir Boy with MTC, for which you received your first Tony Award nomination, Much Ado About Nothing at the Delacorte, for Colored Girls at the Public, Porgy and Bess at the Met. And then coming up, you have Thoroughly Modern Million Encores, and this summer you're choreographing and directing Ain't Misbehaving at Barrington Stage. Yes. I mean, you could just retire right now. <laughs> just Did crazy. we leave anything out? Did we forget anything <laughs> that, that's coming up? When I was two, no, I don't know. <laughs> but before we dig into all of that, I think, I think we'd love to know you're a New York native. Yes. You grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Yes. How did you go from Jamaica, Queens to working nonstop on everything out there? Oh, (laughs) that's a big question. Yeah, that's a huge question. I I don't know how I got from Queens to, uh, well, I'll start with my mom. Mm. She loves musicals and she was actually the person that introduced me to theater and everything about it. So it was wonderful to do that. And at the time, this was before social media, Mm -hmm. at the time, we would go to the library and we would take out some whatever our favorite musicals were and just kind of read rewind and run it over and over again so that's pretty much how I got started with the love of of theater and then just the love of of dance and movement came from me trying to find what was the way for me to express myself and it wasn't necessarily speaking because I have a very small voice which I got teased for when I was younger and so it didn't I it's not that I stopped talking I just made me very um insecure and very aware So uh, I always give this example of when we're in school, we're taught class participation adds to your grade. And I never participated because I was so fearful that someone was going to tease me or it would just sound crazy. I would give the wrong answer. So I was rarely ever... confident in speaking from from that place. So dance was a way for me to still express myself, but not in a way that was maybe dangerous. And speaking felt dangerous. Mm. So you started dancing as a, as a kid? I did, yeah. yes. I did. And, and, then, just, mm-hmm. sorry, and then you founded your own company. I did, yes. Well, right? well, yes, let's go, go back just a little <laughs> bit. So I started in um, Queens, New York mm-hmm. at Bernice Johnson, and then I went to Carolyn DeVore, which is also in Jamaica, Queens. I went to LaGuardia High School, which is the fame school. Yes, yes. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> so, so there's that. 
And then um, I went to North Carolina School of the Arts where I got my BFA, and I joined uh, Evidence, which is which is run by Ron K. Brown, who is the artistic director. So I danced with that company mm-hmm. for five seasons. And during that time, I started wanting to explore my own voice mm-hmm. and never really wanted a company. I did not want to have a company. <laughs> and I just literally came from rehearsal now. Yeah. Uh, but when of I this w- company you don't want. Of this company <laughs> that I never wanted. <laughs> you I, want it now. I want it now. Course. We're leaving tomorrow for tour, so I want it now. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the time... I just felt like looking at Ron and the work that he had to do, because it wasn't just about him choreographing, it was a business as well. So I said, oh, you know, I don't know if I have the stamina for that. And then also I would see how powerful, well, his his work was powerful to me, but I would also see how people were responding to his work as an audience member. Mm. And for me, wanting to choreograph and to actually make people feel something to me was inconceivable it's like well I don't even know if I can get people to feel anything you know I mean as as a choreographer so it was something that I feared and then when I started choreographing for companies I realized that I wanted a more uh, intimate space and rehearsal atmosphere and relationship with my dancers so that's why I have a company yeah. yeah. <laughs> was it a challenge getting the company started? It was, but I have to say, uh, Indira Goodwine, who is now the dance director of NIFA, she was my. She actually started as a dancer of mine, and she said when she was going to graduate school, and after graduate school, she wanted to come back and help me with the company. And I said, okay, yeah, she's going to do that and get a job and go. But she came back. Wow. And so she really helped me build this space where I have a home and I have a base. And she was really the person that encouraged me to do theater and to run my company. Because everybody, when when I would tell people the things that I wanted to do, people would say, oh, that's a lot. You can't do that. People don't do that. You shouldn't do it. Um, and she was really the one that was my advocate and my champion. So It's always so surprising to me the lines that get drawn in this in this industry because it's such a, you know, it's such a creative industry and yet sometimes people can be so close-minded about yes, like, yeah. you're, a, you're a dance choreographer, you wouldn't work on Broadway right. or you wouldn't do opera or right. you wouldn't do X, Y, or Z when, you know, dance is dance, right? Yeah. And, and, and how it's a form of expression, right? And totally. it's, it's used in all these different ways. Yep. Um, I'm interested, you in your, in your bio on your website yes. um, cite your, your background, your musical background as a clarinetist. Yes, don't ask me to take out anything now. <laughs> <laughs> but you, see, you cite it as, as um, sort of background for that, that has informed your oh, choreography. Oh, yes, I've always been surrounded by music. Yeah. And I, I actually wanted to play the violin but uh, I don't think that was one of the choices Mm. and so I went with the clarinet and I just loved even though I didn't necessarily love playing the clarinet Mm -hmm. I loved music and everything that was connected to it (laughs) and do you find that that or rather can you expand upon how that that background as a musician or you know studying it Mm -hmm. and enjoying it has informed your work as a choreographer? Yeah, I mean, let me just try to articulate it, but just the, the, the levels and the space and the uh, arc of music and the idea of listening to it and mm. music actually being a story and, and driving a story, being a language, um, having meaning. Uh, it's not something that you dance to, you dance with. It's a part of you, it's in support of, but it's also lifting and, and guiding and surrounding you. So uh, having the opportunity to be inside of music in that way um, was great. I mean, I wouldn't call myself like a clarinetist or anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, have, I have absolutely zero musical skills, so I admire anyone who played an instrument at any yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they no longer uh, still have their proficiency. Yes, <laughs> but I work with live musicians all right. the time yeah. in my company and then also working on musical theater. If mm-hmm. you have a dance arranger, that's a great time to collaborate so all of those skills kick in. And mm-hmm. then I'm continuing to learn. I mean, communication, in terms of business, you don't, you don't get... Well, in college, I was conditioned to be a dancer, to dance for someone else. Mm. And so you're not really conditioned to have your own company. And what is required of a company is to have communication skills. So you have to learn as you go. And um, I've found that that's really important, especially when you deal with leadership and guiding. 
um, communication is is everything. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting, the notion that the curriculum at the college isn't geared for sending you out in the world to have your own company. It's yeah. to send dancers out to work for someone else. That's right. That's an interesting, I wonder why that is. I, I, you, I'm not, not everyone say, has a company. Yeah, and I, I don't guess, know. Right? I'm not saying you have an answer, yeah. but that's just a really, if, like you would think it would be the reverse of that. You think they would want to empower all dancers to be independent, yeah. but then there would be no dance companies. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I don't know. And then also I think uh, a lot of male choreographers get pushed in, and encouraged more mm. than female choreographers mm-hmm. do. So there's that as well. So I never really saw myself right out of the gate as, oh, I want to do that. Because I never, or or a lot of uh, reflections of myself were not shown to me. Right. I had to I had to find those people. Mm-hmm. So it's just very interesting. Who are some of those people that that you've that you found? You know yes. that, that have inspired you as a choreographer well, or Marlene, as, and as a dancer. Absolutely, yes. Marlies Yerby choreographed Rent and mm-hmm. Diane McIntyre. I mean, when I want. When I wanted to go into theater, it was very important for me to connect with black women that had all, all also been working in theater, too, just to understand it. Right. What is this? <laughs> uh, you know, this is what I want to do. I have ideas. And, and so they are, to this day, continuously have been there and um, have been really a guiding force for me. So I'm mm. really thankful for them. So yeah. you, don't have to, you don't have to go in blind, you know. You, you kind of you know. And then having another... An, a black female uh, and two black female that are working in the business that you see, it makes you believe that, oh, I could do this too. Mm-hmm. People only see one side. They don't see the others. And I want black girls. It doesn't even have to be. I, and I tell people all the time, you don't even have to like my work as a black girl. You can look at it and go, uh, I don't like it. But you know what? I like the position that she's in. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what matters to me. The fact that you're there. The doing fact it. that you know that I'm there. Right. You know, I mean, now, of course, I want you to love the work, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, right. but but I, I want us to see ourselves, you know, and I don't want another I don't want black girls to have to do what I did, which was to have to find right. those people right. because those people were not pushed out um, to to they didn't they didn't get. I didn't have access to them, and they didn't get the exposure that they deserved. How do you decide at this point in your career uh, which projects to take on? Because I'm sure yeah. you get approached, and then you have your own ideas. Right. So how do you how do you navigate that space? What what feeds my soul? Mm. What is going to make me a better choreographer? What is going to challenge me in ways that feel tremendously uncomfortable? Um, if it's if it looks easy. Um, nothing is ever easy, but if it looks something that like, oh, I got this, then I won't do it because it's too safe. And even though danger is scary, growth is what I want to to always be a part of my life. I would imagine um, taking on Porgy and Bess was a a perfect example of that, right? I totally freaked out. (laughs) I mean, I freak out at everything. Yeah. So it's my mom Same. was like, that's your process. You say this all the time. Every project, you freak out and you say you're terrified. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. yeah. Because you just don't know. Right. And um, I, actually, I was talking, when I did Once on this Island, I called Diane McIntyre. And I said, oh, Diane, I'm so nervous. You know, what if I get in there? I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, oh, don't worry. You'll be too busy working to think of it. And right. she's right. Oh, little girl, don't you be afraid. So I think of that's it before and after. Yeah, that yeah. takes the pressure off. Yeah. That's yeah. actually nice. Yeah. So Rob and I saw Porgy and Bess a couple of weeks ago. Oh, nice. And um, it's magnificent. Thank on you. On literally every level. Incandescent. Um, yeah. yeah, it is. And I'm, and I'm curious because, you know, Porgy and Bess, there's... there's People think of it as the great American musical. They think of it as the great American opera. You know, regardless of how you classify that show, when you came onto the project and decided, okay, this is how I'm going to approach it, what were some of your goals in terms of the storytelling that you wanted to accomplish as the choreographer? Uh, Just showcasing the authenticity of black people. 
uh, I think any time, specifically when you go into a construct that is written by white men mm. uh, and me as a black woman, writing, writing about black culture, uh, it's important for me to make sure that we are not performing the idea of black culture, but we are embodying it. And there's a, there's a huge difference, especially when you're talking about the time period that it was created, Porgy and Bess, they were still d- dancing in blackface during that time. So it's really important when we think of mass and double consciousness to make sure that when we're in the space, regardless of what space it is, that we are authentic and true to ourselves. So that was really what I wanted to do. When I was watching the dancers, it seemed like you had, not only did you have like six or eight core dancers, but then there were moments when you had to give everyone movement. Yes. And I don't know how many people were on that sh- stage. Over but 90. I, <laughs> over 90. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, again, no pressure. Right. I have the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> like, at the ready. Like, how did, how did that process work? Like, how do you teach 90 people movement? I know. In a short period of time. I mean, you don't have a huge rehearsal period, right? Yeah. Because no. they also have to learn the music. Yeah. And, like, there's lots of other things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's about getting everybody on board and empowering people. So there were over 60 opera singers, singers, Mm. and I only had eight dancers. So there are only eight people on the stage that feel 100% comfortable moving with their bodies. So we had to have a lot of discussion, not a lot of discussions, but we spoke about the empowerment, I spoke from a place of authenticity. Um, you know, from from the jump, this is not about performing black culture. This is who we are, so that's important for us to do that. And I think we all collectively understood what was important for us to show. And I think it's just really about making people feel like they have something to contribute. So it's not me coming in going, do this, do this, right. okay, move over. It's what can we build together? What what makes your body feel and look good? And I will cater and I cater to that. And then because of what they're giving me in terms of their choice making, because I love I love um nuance and dimensions and I feel like that really comes when people have the ability to create their own choices and of course like it's um it's like crafted you know you don't just let people do (laughs) choices but um but just the freedom to even try is really amazing and to to see the cast and they were so scared in the beginning as I gave them a little class just to see the stuff that they can do and so scared, and then to see them now just fully embodied and so confident, it's just like a 180, and that is amazing. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. What, 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 one of my big takeaways from seeing it was how much um, character there was on stage. Mm. Uh, meaning individual characters. Like the, yeah. the, the ensemble was not just a mass of people who were all doing the same thing. Yeah. There, there, you could see within that community roles and mm. relationships. And there were people yeah. existing on stage, not just you know, an ensemble. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions that I asked was, what is prayer to you when in, the mor- in the morning scene? Mm-hmm. And so I just asked them, how would you move? Uh, and I feel like this is how we begin to pull out the authenticity because no person prays the same. 
So even even if it is inside of a black Southern culture, there's people praise differently. So how do you do that, and how do you enter? How do you tell the rehearsal space that it's okay for you to respond the way you naturally respond because that's what you want. You know, in a, in a place of mourning, how would you really mourn? In a place of celebration, how would you do that? You know, and not, and not the fake version of it, but you actually are having a connection with this feeling at this time. So, so in a piece like Porgy and Bess, or yeah. in a musical, which yeah. some people would say it is, but it was in an opera. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's a whole debate. Um, um, I'm, al- I'm always so curious where the choreographer's work begins mm-hmm. and the director's work begins and yeah. how they interact and how they meet because you know there's staging versus you know blocking yeah. versus choreography and sometimes the line is not very clear between no, the two. No, it's a right? co- it's definitely a collaboration, right. you know, and it's about trust too. So there are times where you know I would have an idea and I would talk to James Robinson who is a director and we would just try things out mm-hmm. and I think trust in a collaboration is so important and mm. I'm just really Glad that it was a, a really uh, healthy relationship. Mm. And h- how much of the specific movement itself on a project like Porgy and Bess is discovered through that collaboration, sort of in the room? And how much of it do you bring, sort of, you know, in your mind already? Yeah. You know, I, I know I want to do this, so we're going to do this. I have ideas, yeah. but I always get ready for the ideas to go out the door as soon yeah. as I walk in yeah. because you don't know the bodies. The, the people, peop, you're working with real humans who have an experience. So for me, I can't literally choreograph something and then go in and go, okay, just do this. Because yeah. um, I want to see people. And that's what makes it different. So if we had a different cast of 90, um, my language would be the same, but it would also be very different because I would be responding to those 90 people in the room. Mm-hmm. I've seen several productions of Porgy and Bess, um, both mostly in opera companies and i don't ever remember them feeling so dance heavy or the or or i don't remember that the dances made that big of an impression like like yours did oh. like i feel like with this production of porgy and bess all of your movement was really integral to the entire production Thank and to the storytelling i also wanted to touch on for colored girls yes. uh, at the public because that was a for me personally that was a show that my parents took me to in the late 70s mm-hmm. and i didn't i remember enjoying it but it went all went over my head yeah. right like cuz i was too young to kind of understand it and then i saw this production and it just i couldn't get out of my seat at the end it was devastating um, and beautiful. So my question to you is, was this a show that was on your radar of something that you wanted to work on? Was this, how did this whole thing come to be for you? Yes. Uh, Aoife Baeza, who is uh, Ndejake Shange's sister, contacted me uh, three years ago now and said she was interested in bringing Ndejake to my, uh, my company's premiere at uh, the Kennedy Center in 2017. We were doing a new piece. And so I totally freaked out because it's Ndjaki Zange. Uh, and so the conversation of me uh, doing this didn't necessarily happen until, sadly, after Ndjaki passed away. But our connection uh, had already started. It was very new. And she actually interviewed me. Uh, she was interested in, in talking with me about my creative movement and my language and I was just like I should be interviewing you <laughs> what is going on um, so that was a that was a treat and it's actually been transcribed so that's wonderful that we have that on on um, archived but it was so great to have a connection with her and then to know that she chose me to be the choreographer for her work and that she has is no longer here it just meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she saw, Ink, Ink was the piece that she saw at the Kennedy Center, and she was interested in seeing another piece that I did called Black Girl Linguistic Play, which she never got to see. Um, so what I did, I kind of interlaced some of the gestural languages from both of those pieces to go inside of For Colored Girls as like a, like a, just a celebration of her and wanted to do my best. It's a completely different thing when the 
creator of something asks you to do it, and then they're no longer here, and they're not here to actually see it come to life. It makes you want to do it even more. Well, I unfortunately, and I'm still kicking myself, missed that production at the public. Um, but I did have the great fortune of seeing Tony Stone hey. at Roundabout last summer. Yes. Um, and that, of course, is a whole you know different uh, experience, right? Because that's a play about baseball yes. and, and uh, an incredible Tony Stone, the titular character, yes. and a woman who broke barriers. Um, what was that experience like, sort of interjecting movement into a play about a sport? It was heaven. Yeah. I mean, of course... Here again, it was challenging because yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, now let's learn what uh, baseball, baseball is. Right, okay. Right. Uh, so the, uh, a lot there of was research. a lot of that. Right, there's a bat, there's a. <laughs> so so that, that was exciting and fun. But the thing that I connected to, a friend of one of my really good friends asked me, out of all the shows that you've done, what is the one that you feel a personal connection to? And at the time, I didn't think about it. And then I was in rehearsal and I was like, it's this one. Because when she gets to, when Tony Stone, April Mathis, who is divine oh in that gosh. role, yeah. when she gets to that last line about, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm sorry, Lydia, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but, um, you know, they said I could do, I, they said I couldn't do this, and I did it, and I reached, and they said I couldn't do this, and I did that, and it just made me think, wow, I mean, my journey is definitely not the same as Tony Stone's was during segregation, but I can, as a black female, really connect with those challenges that she had based on racism and sexism. Um, So it was really wonderful to lift up someone that I didn't even know about, and I felt horrible. But I think it just connects to how are we educating people in terms of the past? What are are the things that are lost? And um, this was lost, and I'm so glad that Lydia Diamond, who is the superb writer of that, uh, was able to bring it to life. And I just thought uh, Pam McKinnon was dynamite in how she staged it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, next up, or I don't know if it's next up on your calendar, but next up on my calendar is uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie at Encores. Yes. Um, And once again, you know, that's another show that, that, you know, having done the things you've done, it Mm -hmm. sounds like something that is a little bit out of left field, right? Because it's this 1920s flapper yeah. tap dancing show, right? Yes. So is that why you took it on? Because it was something that felt different from well, it's the one rest of, the, of I'm sorry. your, no, just from, from the rest of the things you've done? Yes. And it goes, it's kind of considered, not that it's considered a classic Broadway, but it has like the 20s, like you said, the flapper. Totally. Yeah. And that's what I grew up on. That's, that's what mm. got me into theater in the first place. So it's kind of like a full circle moment for yeah. me, being able to actually do that. The things that I saw the Nicholas Brothers do or Gene Kelly, it's like, wow, I actually get to use my choreographic voice and to be a part of that. So do you, do you have um, sort of a, a vision for this particular production yet? I'm sure you're not in um, production well, yet, but... Yeah, I mean, just coming up with what the language is. So mm-hmm. it's a combination of, like, basic tap and just my um, creative language and voice. I mean, I have tap training, so it's not, I don't, first of all, I don't do anything that I haven't done. So if someone asked me to do like Irish jig, (laughs) I would say maybe that's for someone else, you know? So this isn't a case where I'm looking at YouTube and trying to learn how to tap. Like I have tap training, you know? Um, But, and and actually my tap teacher in Queens, Sean, Sean Johnson, she used to teach us to drums. Uh, and I didn't know that drum. I didn't know that in schools they taught to piano. Yeah. That actually seemed weird when I when I saw it. I was like, wow, because all we did was respond, call and response. It was about the drum. They played a rhythm. We had to respond to the rhythm. She said she said a rhythm. The drum had to respond. So to to be in a another class years later, with a person is sitting on the piano, I'm like. What? Where are my drums? Where are the drums? Yeah. 
you know, where's my call and response? Yeah. So it's so I'm actually uh, asking Sean to coach me uh, with the with the drum and the tap because it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. But I just want to get that back in my body and that idea of, of what it is. So I'm excited. Yeah. Will you bring drums into the rehearsal room I at will, City Center? I will bring them for me to work with Sean uh, personally, but we, we can't do it for the whole thing. Because it's a really fast process. Yes, super fast. I always love having drums. I have drums at auditions, rehearsals, everything. But I can't have it for this. (laughs) 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 I have it for everything, not this. (laughs) Do you find yourself getting into a a work situation like this with TAP where you have it in your background, but it's not something you've done maybe recently, and then you're sort of going back like you are with this and working on things and honing your skills and kind of relearning things. Do you, do you find that exciting? Do you, do you like that process? I do that all the time. It's like, I, I am, I'd like to think I'm well-versed in a lot of genres, but that doesn't mean that you could just reach out from the sky and pull it and and do it, you know? So for once on this Island, it was West African, Afro-Cuban and Afro-Haitian. And I have, I have training in all three, but I wanted to know more. So every time I have an opportunity, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. It's not about what I know. It's about what I don't know. Right. I loved that that video you put together for Ted. Oh, about yeah. About the social dance. Yes. Right? Yes. And, I, and I learned so much just from watching that video because I, I knew a lot of the terms, but yes. I couldn't associate necessarily with specific movements. And the way that they, that, you know, the Charleston or, yes. you know, any of these uh, social dances sort of evolve over time. Yep. It's so fascinating. I love it. Yeah, I just, I just love it. And I shout out to Angela Chang because she, she was the director of that. But I, mm-hmm. I almost pulled out of doing it because of the, uh, my voice again. Oh, it, it just, it was a, it was a trigger because yeah. at this point it was the largest platform that I had, and it was like, oh no, you know, the little girl in me was like, oh no, what if people hear my voice? They're not gonna, you know. So she had to talk me through it. So thank you, Angela. Yeah, I'm really glad she did. I'm glad she did too. <laughs> it's a terrific video. Yeah, I'm yeah. so it's excited. Really, it's really instructive. It is a, a beautiful history lesson. Yeah, it really thank is. You. It, yeah. It, it's, yeah. it, and what's so fascinating about dance is, you know, it, it is it's it's physical, right? And yeah. and especially a lot of a lot of these dances. W- came in or developed in a time where there wasn't a camera to record That's it. That's right. Right? So it's been passed down. It's a tradition. That's right. right? And, and, I, and, you know, you can watch something, but to actually do it yeah. is also different, right? Yeah. To have it in your bones. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see the specificity of the movement from one dance to another was really a treat. Thank you. And, yeah. I, um, <laughs> and it was really important to all of us that the community was shown and we didn't hire, I mean, some of my company members are in there, but we didn't want to hire dancers who would perform the social dances that we see in the community. It's like, no, let's have the community actually do it. You know, the real people, which speaks to the um, question about the authenticity. It's Mm -hmm. like, if you do that from jump then you don't have to work authenticity because it's already there. Mm. Well, also in the video, you you talk about how the dancers feed off of each other, right? And they respond to each other. Communication. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 I don't know how else you would have done it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It seems so natural, but of course that's not always the way that other people think. Right. right, right. Um, So this summer you're going up to Western Mass to work on Ain't Misbehaving, another favorite show of ours. Yeah. But this time you're also going to be wearing a director hat. Yes. And have you directed and choreographed before, or is this the first time you're directing as well? In this arena, so when I'm choreographing on my company, in a sense I am the director and choreographer, so this is just another, um, I guess, I don't know, aspect or space? Logical next step? Yeah. (laughs) So my question, where I'm going with this is, do you see yourself directing more theater? I would love that. I... The crazy thing is, I had a I had a dream, and the dream was to do musical theater. I didn't even know it was possible for me to have worked on the projects that I have, and then also to now be in a position where I am directing and choreographing. I never would have thought that possible. Um, so yes, <laughs> absolutely. Do you have a dream project you want to throw out into the universe that you'd love to direct? 
Oh, I'd love to do the Wiz. Oh. Yeah, I'd love to do that. <laughs> and I'd love to see yeah. the Wiz. Yeah. I'd love to see the Wiz. Please do that. Uh, yes. And do it in New York. Yes. Because <laughs> we need a good production of the Wiz in yeah. New York. I mean, there have been many, but, mm-hmm. but we can never have enough. No, no. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about Ain't Misbehaving, and I've been in conversation with Richard Maltby, the writer, mm. and so it's really wonderful, and um, I've have the opportunity to make some shifts and changes and stuff. Uh, so that's very, very exciting. Mr. Poison, you better stand by for I've got a feeling I'm a falling. Falling for nobody else but he. I mean, it's the idea of double consciousness. So when I was talking about Porgy and Bess during that time, it's the same thing. Like, Ain't Misbehaving is during the 30s, 20s. So we're still dealing with the double consciousness, the idea of the mask. What is the authenticity of black people? What is it when we come out and perform quotes? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm really excited. And, And the lovely thing is these pieces are almost in conversation with each other to to a certain degree because I can use the inspiration from Porgy and Best to inform how I approach Ain't Misbehaving, which is going to inform how I approach Thoroughly Modern Millie. All of those three take place within the same kind of time period. So it's a challenge because you don't want to have three pieces that take place in the same time period all look the same. But again, that speaks to the people in the room. That's going to automatically start changing and, and, and um, kind of, I don't know, I ran out. Speaking for both of us, because I know that Jamie feels the same way, uh, we've enjoyed so much of your work to date that we've seen, all, you know, all the things that we have seen, uh, and that we cannot wait for all the things that are up ahead. Thank you. Not just this season, but in seasons and seasons to come. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for putting that in the universe. Seasons no, and seasons course. to come. Yes, yes. And we have one final question yes. okay. um, that we ask everyone. And what? You, you've alluded to it, but you haven't given us a specific. So now, now maybe we'll get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was that show or thing that you saw as a child that made you want to be a choreographer or work in this business? The Insinkable Molly Brown. I'll stay or I'll go. What was it about it that grabbed you? The choreography and, well, a couple of things. The choreography, um, I love love stories, <laughs> so there's that. And then just the idea of this this girl that was quote-unquote odd and didn't fit in and was able to overcome that with the challenges. Um, to me, it, I always... I've always considered myself the underdog. So anytime I see stories that are related to people like a a, a triumph, then those are the things that I gravitate to. And I felt like um, that was one of the things that was a a triumph. And, and, And I mean, yes, it has a lot of stuff. But to me, when I was younger, that's what I was looking at. Um, And then the choreography, I just thought was like the rhythm and... It was good. It was just good. <laughs> wow, you're our first Molly Brown. I yeah. love that. What yeah. do other people well, say? Oh, everyone's like Fiddler. Yeah. King and I. King and I. We get a lot of those. You're yeah. the first Molly Brown. I love that. <laughs> That's so great. Plus, I just saw it. Like I hadn't, you know, yeah. nobody does that show. I would lo- so oof, you should you should try to you should I think you will love it. Well, when you asked me what show would I love to direct, I would I would have said that too, but I know it's happening. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you know, well, but I can't wait to see it. To come, it so. Seasons and seasons. Right. Yes. Well, that would be a good one for you. Because she is an underdog. She and she's kind of badass. You know, she's a she's a tough cookie mm-hmm. who doesn't <laughs> take grief from anybody. Yeah. And my mom, just a funny story to bring it back to For Color Girls, my mom always tells me, don't let anyone take away your stuff. And I never knew what 
I never knew where she got that from until I was on For Color Girls. And she was sitting next to me during opening night. And um, the opening line, I believe, is somebody ran off with all of my stuff. And she leaned over. She was like, that's where I got it from. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Because my mom and my dad saw it uh, in the late 70s, too. Yeah. So she said once she heard that, that just stuck with her. And that's something that she said to me as, I mean, as early as I can remember. She's been saying that to me. That must have been such a lovely moment on opening night to, to come full circle yeah. with that. That's fantastic. Because yeah. I always understood what she meant, but to, to hear the inspiration and the text behind it, it's like, oh, yes. In a production that you have worked on. In a production that I've worked on. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, thank you so much for your thank time. You. It's, yeah, it's really been lovely <laughs> sitting here and chatting with you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. Camille A. Brown is one of the few black women who have choreographed shows on Broadway. An elite distinction, but also a sign of how far we still have to go in making diversity a meaningful reality both on and off stage in professional theater. When Camille was nominated for a Tony Award in 2019 for her work on Choir Boy, it was the first time in over two decades that a black woman had been nominated for Best Choreography, and only the second time in history that a black woman was even nominated, period. Neither won that prestigious award. And so the truism that you can't be what you can't see makes the visibility of black female choreographers like Camille A. Brown all the more important. You may be wondering, besides Camille, who are the other black women who have choreographed on Broadway? Well, Camille mentioned a few during our conversation, and sadly, the list is quite short. A former professional disco dancer, Marlies Yearby was nominated for a Tony Award for her work on Rent in 1996, first at the New York Theater Workshop downtown, then on Broadway. It remains her only Broadway credit, though she is also the co-founder and co-artistic director of Movin' Spirits Dance Theater. Like Camille, Diane McIntyre has worked on Broadway as a choreographer for four plays, including August Wilson's King Hedley II in 2001 and Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston's Meal Bone in 1991. She also founded Sounds in Motion, a significant theater company focused on black narratives and dance, and is currently choreographing the upcoming opera version of Lynn Nottage's Intimate Apparel, which will open at Lincoln Center Theater later this month. A longtime performer, Hope Clark, emerged from the chorus to choreograph the dance-heavy Jelly Slash Jam in 1992, and later the original Broadway production of Carolina Change in 2004, as well as Shakespeare's The Tempest and A Free Man of Color for Lincoln Center Theater. In 1988, dancer Debbie Allen of Fame fame choreographed the legendary flop musical adaptation of Carrie. And Mabel Robinson, another dancer, choreographed the short-lived musical It's So Nice to be Civilized in 1980 and the 1976 Broadway production of Porgy and Bess. Going back to the early days of the golden age of musical comedy, the choreography for 1940's Cabot in the Sky is officially attributed to George Balanchine, but, according to Dance Magazine, his uncredited co-choreographer was the legendary Catherine Dunham, a pioneering black dancer and choreographer whose self-supporting all-black modern dance company was prominently featured in the cast. Following Cabot in the Sky, Dunham would go on to be credited as choreographer for six productions in the 1940s and 1950s, even serving as director of the Tropical Review of 1944. In 1963, she became the first African-American woman to choreograph for the Metropolitan Opera. She died in 2006 at the age of 96. Catherine Dunham was a boundary breaker, but also a lonely one. Eighty years after Dunham blazed a trail, Camille Brown still finds herself with few peers. Let's hope that changes in the years to come, and in the meantime, do everything we can to support and lift up the work of black female choreographers. You are part.
Jamie here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. In these difficult times, if you're feeling generous and looking for a place to donate, please consider donating to the Actors Fund. And you can donate anytime to actorsfund.org. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Charles Van Kirk. Find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theatre community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theatre professionals, search the RISE Theatre Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheatre.org. That's theatre with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.